Quickly, CNN joins uh, affiliate in Oklahoma City, KFOR, to bring you the latest uh, that they're having live updates on this explosion that's happened at the uh, federal court building in downtown Oklahoma City. We are a block from where the blast occurred, and uh, they are just uh, treating people here on the side of the road about a block away. We have heard reports that there is a daycare center in that building. We're looking at videos of some of the victims. We understand now that we are seeing some pictures of the arrival of some of the children who were in the daycare center located in that building. The people that I talk to say they survived by diving underneath their desk. When you uh, see pictures of what is left of the federal building, it's hard to believe anybody is walking away from this explosion today. It sounded like just one big boom. Really loud. Then there was so much noise from everything falling in, though, you couldn't hear anything else. Everything started going like this, and I, I dove under the desk, and then all the glass came in, and the ceilings came down. And... I probably got cut worse if I hadn't been under the desk. I just got little scrapes and scratches. Just the whole back of the building just fell in on us. It's just, we don't know, it was a big pour. Just all fell in. Everyone along our set of offices had um, back injuries, head injuries, neck, bleeding, glass. The bombing in Oklahoma City was an attack on innocent children and defenseless citizens. It was an act of cowardice, and it was evil. The United States will not tolerate it. This is, it looks like it's a video from Beirut or something. You can see the, uh, uh, the wrought iron bars that are used for reinforcement, the rebar just sticking out there. We have a parking lot across the street from the federal building, and the cars over there were demolished. And that is a ladder truck from the Oklahoma City Fire Department. It looks like trying to rescue or at least looking for victims inside the Alfred P. Murrah building. And we are now getting word from the Oklahoma City Fire Department that there are people trapped inside the building. They believe they are alive. They are trapped in the rubble. We're talking to victims through void spaces. Uh, people are crying out to us. Uh, we're reassuring them the best we can. We're able to reach through cracks and, and hold people's hands and, uh, and reassure them as best we can, but getting to them is going to take a long time. The debris is gone and the building is no more. Now this is a place of peace and remembrance and life. Welcome to the Conspiracy Therapy Podcast with Ryan. Larry, Springhill, Josh, and the Aluma Mommy herself, Miss April. And on today's episode, the fan vote of July, the Oklahoma City bombing part one. Tomatoes, flowers on the prairie where the June bugs zoom. 
Girls, men, grandpas, cattlemen. That's right. Here we are. Another week, another episode of the Conspiracy Therapy Podcast here live in the ship kitchen studio. Oh, excuse ship me, kitchen. what? The ship, what? The ship, ship, shoop. Did I say ship? Oh, oh, you did say ship. At least I didn't say shit. Because it ain't shit. Yeah. Just saying. It's where it's at. It's good to see you. Good to know you. <laughs> How are we doing this week? Fantastic. Fabulous. Great. Amazing. Two, two F's and an A. I'm sad. I know. We had a little moment before the F started. Yeah. Little boys growing up. Yeah, I know. They Don't make her up. cry again. Oh, I'm sorry. I mean, <laughs> no, I'm good. I got it out. We're good. We're can't good. wait for them to go back to school. God damn it. That, that is also true. <laughs> Josh, well, let's see. Larry had fantastic and fabulous. I feel like a f- fresh. Oh boy, breeze. I don't know. An FB. All right. I really thought you were gonna go for fresh fart, but whatever. <laughs> Be more realistic. I know, right? Keep the alliteration going. I feel like a fart, but I feel fresh. That's good. Did you get a shower and a little bit of naked towel time with your phone? I did actually. <laughs> good. He refers to that as drying off. Oh, right. You have to. I have to have my drying off time. I'll come upstairs and he's just sitting there on the bed on his towel on his phone, naked. I'm drying off. I didn't get. I didn't get my. Uh, like 25 minutes I usually need because we were kind of busy this evening, but I had about five minutes. It was nice. Jeez. <laughs> Can't well, trust those, man. I'm feeling free. That's why. And I think that's a theme <laughs> to this episode, actually. Freedom. And sometimes to be a true patriot. No, wait, strike that, reverse it. This is a really dark episode. <laughs> I was about to say, phone the authorities here. <laughs> no, this um, this was a fan vote, and if you join our Facebook page, we do a monthly vote for our episode that we're going to cover the first of the following month. Now, this is something that I knew about as a kid. I saw it on TV, and I remember specifically thinking, "Uh, where's that?" Like. I don't know. Like, I, it could have been Beirut. It could have been one of the many uh, wars going on around the world. Because anytime you turned on the news in the 90s, it's just like footage of whatever the media could make money on. I was working nights at the time, so I kind of woke up and turned on the TV and I was like, what did I miss? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was a catastrophe. 168 people died that day. And somewhere in the range of 600 were wounded. Also, 300 buildings were destroyed, not completely, but had their own Windows sense of destruction. Out. There were cars on fire. 19 kids in a daycare died. Mm. And the overall effect has really permeated into today. I 
feel like going through this story and learning about this really, really, I am more surprised than anything that this hasn't been. I know some people might think that it would be probably politically charged or leaning if they did it, but I am surprised with all the twists and turns that this story actually takes. That this hasn't been made into a film. Wow. I, well, I was just going to ask that. They actually kind of, I didn't think about that, but um, do you guys remember Larry, you said you were working we're working nights. Well, like a second shift. So I'd get out by like midnight and you would have been about 20 ish and 19. Okay. Now, do you guys, Larry or Brian in April, do you guys remember this at all when it happened? Like where you were? It was April 19th, 1995 for perspective. So I would have been in 95. I think at the time I was still living in Plainwell before I'd moved up to Granville. And the house I we was already to see you leave there, Ryan, because me, Mayor of Plainville. <laughs> It's a right mayor of it was a great great loss. Plain well. I was just kind of a shitty kid eating hostess cakes and smoking Marlboro lights by the river. No, um actually I I think I actually fake sick that day because I specifically <laughs> remember sitting on the couch and watching it, which in being in April I should have been in school. Bad Wyan. <laughs> but like I said, I didn't think too much. Like I just looked at it and thought, oh, some building in Oklahoma just went boom. Looked like it was like it looked like a knife through hot butter. It did. It's like a cross section of the building. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's uh, some interesting details about that too. The government just you know we like to build buildings and and then cut back spending, just like nine eleven. Mm, okay, eighteen thousand dollars could have saved. We said one hundred and sixty eight people mm-hmm. died. It, the casualties could have been more like twenty. Really? Yeah. Hmm government bastards (laughs) (laughs) so yeah no my recollection of that really was just like something bad happened then i remember the media spinning it almost abruptly as if it was another terrorist attack after the initial world trade center thing happened that was that same no wait that was 93 right uh the world trade center yeah i believe so it was close to waco in that era so yeah, no, there was there was a heightened security almost immediately and the public wanted whoever did this as fast as possible. So, before we get all too serious and we all get super sad cuz this is a sad story, we're going to actually pull the thunderbird to the side of the road cuz it is timely. Mm-hmm. And I want to ask you guys if something like what happened in Oklahoma City was to happen near us today, how scared would you be? As a as a full grown adult parent, as, well, as the mayor of Plainville, that would completely wipe out the city. <laughs> it would. I think the biggest building there is a D and W. Makes it all scarier. I would say that as far as the scale is concerned, I would be probably a solid eight because no matter what, when a bomb goes off in a building, that's especially if it's near us, 
it just kind of makes the scare value go up a little bit. And then you start to wonder if you know anybody that's in the building and that, that can be terrifying. So yeah, I agree. April. Yeah. That's a solid 10 for me. And Mm -hmm. admittedly, I don't know very much about the Oklahoma city bombing. I was in kindergarten. Yeah. Um, so this will be all pretty much new information to me. So while this happened, you were like I was snacking like, on an Elmer's glue stick. <laughs> I was eating crayons and like playing. I put the whip stick on my twofers. <laughs> playing hopscotch and see. And I was in fifth boogers. grade when that happened, and I still like vividly remember seeing the pictures and whatnot. I mean, it scared me as a fifth grader i would have been seventh or eighth yeah shit man i had bigger fish to fry i was like learning how to count and you know i was trying to pull off drawing Susie, rainbows Susie may's <laughs> training bra at the roller rink yeah um but yeah that being said um especially because there was a daycare inside that's mm-hmm. like that's a 10 for me any children being in any kind of peril is is absolutely horrifying so 10 A 10. <laughs> Seriously, because yeah. we, we've seen in the past, like, especially with, well, was it Rudolph? What was it Richard Rudolph? Eric Rudolph. Yeah. In Atlanta, oh, yeah. when he's setting off those bombs at, at the abortion clinics because all life is precious. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> right. I mean, he had a bomb go off. Everybody comes to all the rescue people, and then he lights off that second one. You don't know how many bombs there's going to be. Yeah. That's. That's true. And I'm going to round it out with a 10, too, because as I've gotten older, the more paranoid I've gotten. And I've tried really hard to stay centrist on a lot of things, but this sort of stuff, when digging in and doing the research for this, I was finding myself understanding almost all sides in certain ways. I could understand... And I'll 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 try to 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 explain myself as best I can. I think I know what you're saying. You can, you understand it. You don't condone it. I exactly. It's like one of the biggest militias in the country is the Michigan militia, which is basically in our backyard. They moved since moved to Alaska because they feel more freedom and because they don't have to pay pay sales tax. I, I guess, and they're like. Inuits. Do they still call themselves the Michigan militia? Militia. I think of Alaska? because of I think because of branding, they might still be Michigan militia. But at, at one time or another, they were the biggest militia in the country, and they also have, in some ways, ties to this that we're covering. But in researching their ideals and the and the idea of a militia, really, you know, George Washington had issues with it back in the 17th or 1800s during the revolutionary war. Cause these guys would show up and they could 1700s or se- is it? Oh yeah. yeah 1800s. civil. Oh, that's true. Sorry. I'm going out of my brain now. So that <laughs> all of the two thousands would be desert related. Okay, cool. It's only been 18 years. So <laughs> only, <laughs> um, Anyway, so, you know, when George Washington had to deal with the militias during the Revolutionary War, they had the choice of fighting or not, and that was a big fucking shitstorm for him. 
and militias in general aren't necessarily in guidelines with the local law enforcement, but the Michigan militia was close with this, the sheriff and they could understand each other's viewpoints. I guess that's kind of the way I try to paint it. I see myself siding more with the sheriff than I would the militia mm-hmm. because I understand the, the way that lo- local law enforcement is set up to protect. And I understand why there's federal law enforcement as well. It's, if you see those videos of the Michigan militia, mm-hmm. it looks like they had waged war on donuts and they were losing. <laughs> That's a good war to lose, though. Wait, no, it's not. No, you can die. Not. I don't think you can they lose a foot. I don't think they have physical readiness tests quite like the no, military. No, I'm so. guessing not. <laughs> I know the DOD mm-hmm. cops I worked with as a security guard in the military. Mm-hmm. I was like, there's a definite difference going on. Yeah. <laughs> we're all getting sprayed with CS gas while Uh these guys are sitting on the sidelines eating cheeseburgers Mm -hmm. laughing. (laughs) (laughs) Got a wipe with a rag on a shtick. (laughs) But anyway, I digress. So we're going to start this guy off and interject, obviously, as we would. There's a lot to cover, so time capsule's not happening today. You can uh, listen to the O.J. Simpson one if you want. uh, Yeah. That year. Same year. There you go. Also, actually, I think this was brought up with uh, Princess Di, right? I think you brought it up in that time capsule. I, uh, yes, because his his uh, trial, right? Yeah, his trial yeah. happened that year. Okay, so here we go. How did we get terrorists in our backyards? How does one become so focused on hate and revenge? How does one become so paranoid? Now, have you guys met anybody that you've been like, damn, this motherfucker's paranoid? Yeah, look where we work, yes. <laughs> Male prostitutes, they got it. You know, it's okay. If you, if you look at your buddy and you're in the locker room and you go, can you take a look at this? I think that's okay. If, if a friend of mine says, I, I have something here. Can you look at yep, my mother? I've had tip? this happen. Yep. I, dude, all guys have had this happen, especially being in the service. Ooh, every, go see a doctor. <laughs> I'm like, I will see your dick from at least an arm's length away. <laughs> But sometimes you need a little help, you know, penis, because penis, penis. you go on WebMD and it tells you you're growing a third arm out of your ass and you have AIDS. So sometimes it's better to just ask a buddy. Anyway, penis, penis, penis. That's right. I can trace a line in this. You can also rest your penis on my tongue. <laughs> I'm never going to get through this. Nope. So... It, w- With those questions that I asked initially in mind, I can kind of trace a line in this after doing the research for the (laughs) Oklahoma City bombing. You feeding ducks over there? I am. (laughs) So there's William Luther Pierce's The Turner Diaries from 1978. This is the alt-right, white nationalist, conservative Bible in some ways. Mm. It's a book about... A bunch of white dudes who start an organization and basically try to overthrow the government. Or in the end, one of them blows up a federal building in D.C. or the Pentagon. Sounds very familiar. Mm -hmm. So, that's the Turner Diaries. Then there's Richard, or sorry, Robert Matthews, The Order, which is a group of people inspired by such. Randy Weaver at Ruby Ridge. And this is all in a timeline. And then David Crush at Mount Carmel in Waco. 
And then finally, the line leads to Timothy McVeigh, which leads to Oklahoma City. And I'll try to explain this. So we'll, we'll backtrack again to the Turner Diaries. This was a book that was exclusively sold by mail order, or you could find it in like the back of like a like a B Soldier of Fortune, or go to a gun show and get it. Soldier of Fortune cookies if they're in the Michigan militia. <laughs> Send eight ninety nine plus shipping and handling, and you'll be there in forty three days. It's not the shipping where they get you; it's the handling, mm, of course. <laughs> now the Turner Diaries. I think we know better. Was published. I'd pay extra for some handling. <laughs> Published in serial <laughs> chapter format in National Alliance publication. As of the year 2000, more than 500,000 copies of the Turner Diaries has been sold. Now, I will also say, I skimmed some of the parts of this book. It's not well written. Um, in fact, a lot of the way that it's written, as I have came to listen to interviews with McVeigh and hear about his ladylike pursuits and Asshole. men men like pursuits which we'll talk about in the future he talks very similarly to the way that the book is written ah, good an individualist so i do not recommend the anti defamation league identified the turner diaries as quote probably the most widely read book among far right extremists many of them have cited it as the inspiration behind their terrorist organization organizing and activity. Moreover, the Simon Weisenthal Center calls it a hate book. And also, the Goodreads app, which I don't know if anybody uses that, rates it at three stars. Unlike (laughs) you guys out there who should rate us five stars. Now, from the Turner Diaries in 78, we'll go to the Order. This was... They were known as the Order or Silent Brotherhood. They were a white supremacist terrorist organization active in the United States between... Oh. What's up, brother? (laughs) Or New Order. That's right. You could say that. They were a terrorist organization active in the U.S. between September of 83 and December of 84. The group raised funds via armed robbery. Ten members were tried and convicted for racketeering and two for their role in the 1984 murder of radio talk show liberal Jewish man Alan Berg, who they hated because they would listen to his show and get all riled up. Nobody get any ideas out there. Exactly. We're, we're center line. You can't hate us. We love you and you. <laughs> Especially you. You know who we don't love, though? Who? Kevin Sorbo. No. What a dick. He's what an a, asshole. Yeah. Stop it with those stupid movies. Go back to Hercules. A fundamental goal. A fundamental goal of the the order was revolution against the American government, which its members and those of other white supremacist groups believed to be controlled by a cabal of prominent Jews. Which... Do you guys have any friends who are just like seriously like, and you don't have to say names, but mm-hmm. do you have friends that are like that, that are like stupid Jewish cabal, like really firmly kind of believe? That- I had someone recently saying a lot of anti-Semitic stuff and I had to turn around and go, y- you know, I'm my, my nephew and sister-in-law are Jewish, right? Was that me? <laughs> no. <laughs> Started to get all panicky. I'm like, mm. I say it in jet. I I don't think it's right to make fun of any race, color, or creed. Unless you are that race. 
so I can make right. Catholic jokes. I, I, or, I live that horror. Or you can, <laughs> or you can. Yes, we can talk shit about French people and Italians. It's fine. <laughs> All races agree. <laughs> Our French and Italian listener base is pretty small. Yeah. So. <laughs> when that bumps up, you know, maybe well, we'll, then we'll cut back a we'll little bit. We'll cut back on those spaghetti and the meatballs. <laughs> Generally speaking, though, I, I don't like to associate myself with anybody that is uh, point blank just a hater. Yeah. Um, I don't like those type of people. I Look, I'm all for a group of guys, especially if it's a group of guys that are of different backgrounds, busting each other's balls. Mm-hmm. It's how we grow up. And I'll get into Timothy McVeigh a lot more later, but his supposed big problem was bullying. I think there's okay, it's okay to get some bullying. I think that that's a, that can be a, that's a called, yeah, it's called welcome to the real life. Exactly. <laughs> you got to learn to grow back bone. Mm-hmm. At some, and now there are extremes, of course, yes. Always where, where it go, you know, where it goes too far. But I mean, ball busting. That's not it. You gotta learn to stick up for yourself. Your friend, that, com- your yes. friend comes up to me, comes up to you, and he's like, "Hey, what's up? How's your mom doing?" You know, it's like, shut up. But there is like this. I mean, you see it with autistic kids getting bullied, and you're like, "What the? Fuck? Yes, <laughs> come on, it's bad." Yeah, I'll reach my hand through the internet and slap you up a little bit. But shit, I mean, the three, well, the four of us, we bust each other's balls all the time, mm-hmm. constantly. Yeah, April's are red and sore right now. Oh, totally. Size it's very uncomfortable. We got a German, a Polak, a Polak, a Jew, a Prussian, and a Jew. You are too. Well, I'm half Jew, half German. It's weird. Well, <laughs> you hate you really hate yourself, don't you? <laughs> I really do. The did, order I did not know you were Jewish, sir. Well, not, I'm predominantly English. Where do you think that glorious beard comes from? I was about to say, no wonder he has that <laughs> That's perfect. All Jew. <laughs> he, yep. That, and of course, his spot on English accent. <laughs> It's true. The order was named after and partly modeled on a fictional terrorist group from William Luther Pierce's novel, The Turner Diaries. So there's the line from that to this. Mm -hmm. The order's goals included the establishment of a homeland, now the Northwest Territorial Imperative, from which Jews and non-whites would be barred. They often referred to the United States federal government as ZOG, an acronym for Zionist Occupied Government. <laughs> Yo, or basically, Josh, Josh snorted so hard. Zog. It sounds like an alien overlord. <laughs> sounds like something I have to kill in XCOM. I thought your head was going to cave and your eyes were going <laughs> to... <laughs> the truth is, though, the this is pretty typical to the rhetoric I hear on Alex Jones Infowar when it comes to the Zionist thing mm-hmm. but he it's only in word it's, but it is with him it's, he he was he always brought up that he was married to a Jewish woman true and I will give Alex Jones his due credit and I actually will bring him up later <laughs> and he is damn happy about it so members of the order included, that's his happy sound <laughs> I thought that was his it's orgasm his o, sound. that's his o sound <laughs> There's yep. There's now you're pregnant. There's there's a bunch of names for the members, but we don't really need to get into that. I I will say that draws a pretty even line. Now we're gonna jump to Ruby Ridge, which we did cover Mm -hmm. in Ruby Ridge slash Waco. I think it's episode sixty one, and that's a good episode, and it really does show you kind of the breakdown of this. But I'm gonna go into it a little bit more because I want to explain some of the back and forth. Now, Randy Weaver. 
who we may remember from that episode, was the subject of arrest by U.S. federal agents in the deadly Ruby Ridge standoff of 92. This incident ended in a surrender after Weaver's wife, son, and a federal agent mm. were killed. And their dog. Yes, and the dog. Don't forget the pooch. I just happened to watch the a little thing on this on CNN yesterday, so oh, it's yeah. like all fresh in my head. Oh, yeah. Randy Weaver attended some Aryan Nation rallies. Now... I want to say this. He was like 40, 30 miles from Canada and living way out in the boonies. He was, yeah. It's not like this guy was up in your biz. Him and his wife and their kids were, were slow. Like he had wanted a job in the FBI and then he slowly, they kind of like drifted out of society's norms and tried to really kind of get their own, um, to kind of own live off the land you know, they were not bothering anybody. They weren't bothering anyone. And this is why this is why this enrages so it enrages many. me. It, it makes me mad too. When we covered it, we got mad. So he did attend those rallies, but like I said, they were on their own. And at the time, that was kind of one of the few things they could do to socialize. Mm-hmm. You know, see other white people that were well, not just all you're going to see in Idaho. <laughs> I mean, yeah. See some other neighbors and hang out. Maybe have a potluck. I mean, potatoes time, only. At the time, I can't imagine. I can't imagine how good the 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 pork steaks were. But you know, you go to a thing Gosh, like that. They had like the Forrest Gump of potatoes, scalp potatoes, potato salad, potato al gratin, potato bear, deviled potato, baked but, potato, mashed potato, fried potato, country potato, home fried potato, potato jello. <laughs> Potato soup. It all works. Twice baked potato. Drinks made from potatoes. You see, Irish listeners. Be vodka. You see, that I know. <laughs> you see, Irish listeners, we do have a lot in common with you. So these people got together and they had them a potluck and probably listened to some music like this, like Leonard Skinner. Which is fine because I like that music. I'm down. The older the country gets, though, the better, I say. Well, yes. Yeah. You get that some Hank Williams Sr. on. Ooh. Wait. You know what it's the original, all about. That is the original gangster rap. Oh, yeah. They don't just shoot people because they're mad at him. <laughs> Jeez, Johnny now, Cash's cocaine blues. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. That guy was like, gangster. I, I shot my bitch because she annoyed yeah. me. I shot a guy at Vegas. Or what did he say? I shot a man in uh, Reno. Reno, just, Reno to just to watch him die. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> Tupac's like up in heaven, like big ups. Even though that <laughs> happened way before me. <laughs> huh. Him and JC are sharing a cake under a tree in heaven. <laughs> so now they went to these meetings. They attended the Aryan Nations Church and Aryan Nations World Congresses. Now, of course, the government always, you know, being so cool and with it, decided to send in informants from the U.S. Secret Service. The uh, U.S. Secret Service and FBI interviewed Weaver and his wife in 85. Weaver denied belonging to the Aryan Nations, which is true. He was literally, he said, basically, they'd show up, hang out, and then he'd go back to his house. And it was just, like I said, social. So the couple cited differences in religious beliefs between themselves and the group. And I will mention that Weaver's wife was super religious and actually really was like the homemaker. They had a lot of kids. Mm-hmm. Weaver was approached, though, in 86 by an, at an Aryan Nations rally by an ATF informant named Kenneth Faderly, who was posing as a biker named Gus Magasono. 
I gotta work. Like, I gotta what's work your last name? Mag. So <laughs> no. Looks, looks down at his leg. He's got a mag, he's got a light. mag light. His mag and he's got a Sono. <laughs> Sony Walkman. <laughs> mag. Sono. <laughs> Boy, I hope he doesn't figure this out. So he was investigating Weaver's friend Frank Kumnick. Faderly presented himself as an illegal firearms dealer from New Jersey. New Jersey. New Jersey. <laughs> Faderly went met. Weaver again in 87 at another World Congress. Weaver skipped the 88 Aryan Nations meeting and ran as a candidate for county sheriff and lost in 89. Mm. So he was actually big into criminal justice. He was trying to go to school for that. Mm. Weaver supplied two modified shotguns to Faderly. While the ATF maintained that the weapons supplied by Weaver were illegally shortened when Faderly received them, it is documented that Weaver has claimed otherwise and there's some proof to this like you can actually look it up on the internet it's insane so it's like them proving something that you know is not true so the department of justice ruby ridge task force report records that faderly stated weaver showed him an unaltered shotgun and faderly pointed out where he wanted weaver to cut the gun and that was it that was the dealing that's what sent all these people up there basically because the ATF wanted to use Weaver to introduce Faderly to Charles Holworth, who was starting a group in Montana, after which the ATF intended to drop the Kumnick and Weaver investigations. Weaver refused to take Faderly to Montana in November in 89, and Faderly was told by his supervisors to have no contact with him. But by June of 90, Faderly had been outed to the Aryan Nation security. Who listens that, to their supervisors anyways? This is our messy Gagano guy. So, but the feds tried to still use Weaver to by asking for help and getting to their leaders, but Weaver said, "Fuck off, dudes." <laughs> or whatever the super religious backwoods version of "fuck off, dudes." Fornicate yourself, sir. <laughs> and he floated away. Uh, during the incident at Ruby Ridge, many of those Aryan brothers came, as did locals, to protest the ATF and government in general for their show of force. It was a shit show, as we mentioned before. It did not end well at all, only furthering the agenda set forth in the Turner Diaries. Like I said, about a group that organizes and takes back their guns and their land and bombs the federal government. Take back the guns that were never taken to begin with? Well, we'll talk about the Brady Bill later. Then there was a massive shit show of Waco. shit shows. Yeah, I guess, you know, people were... German. I mean, they talk about Nazis a lot. (laughs) The Waco siege was a siege of a compound belonging to the Branch Davidians carried out by American federal and Texas state law enforcement, as well as the U.S. military between February 28th and ending on April 19th, 1993. Wait a minute. April 19th, 1995. There's some significance to that. Mm -hmm. It's also in these groups called Patriot Day. Because that's when supposedly mm. the first shot of the Revolutionary War was oh, okay. fired. The more you know. But the Branch Davidians were led by David Koresh and were headquartered at Mount Carmel Center Ranch in the community of Axtell, Texas, 13 miles east-northeast of Waco. Suspecting the group of stockpiling illegal weapons... Bullshit. The Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms obtained a search warrant for the compound and arrest warrants for Koresh and a select few of the group's members. The catch is, these are all legal drug, or gun transactions. 
I'm thinking drugs because I'm thinking uh, about how I miss alcohol. <laughs> the incident began when the ATF attempted to raid the ranch. An intense gun battle erupted, resulting in the deaths of four government agents and six Branch Davidians. Upon the ATF's failure to raid the compound, a siege lasting 51 days was initiated by the FBI. Eventually, the FBI launched an assault and initiated tear gas. This was all because Janet Reno said, do it, because they, she was shown a video of child brides thinking this was going on and she's a monster lesbian who wanted to exact revenge will ferrell's impression of her was great i know um my thing with this is that david koresh and the atf are both to blame for this the atf is mostly to blame they got upset with the media Koresh liked having the media for the moment when he was able to get out his message, but he betrayed the the interrogator they used. They had made a deal, and he said he would let more people out, and then he said, no, I'm not going to do that because of some seventh seal, which we bring up in the episode. Then there was new audio that was found, and I think we bring this up in our Waco episode, where basically you can hear people in the building saying, David said to pour gas and, and basically start the fires. So you know that those fires were set, plus the corpses were checked, and a lot of those people were inflicting suicide gun wounds to each other, probably because burning sucks. Mm-hmm. <sighs> anyway... When this whole Waco siege happened, 76 people died, including David Koresh. Much dispute remains as to the actual events of the siege. A particular controversy ensued over the origin of the fire. An internal Justice Department investigation concluded in 2000 that SEC members had started the fire. The events near Waco and the siege of Ruby Ridge less than 12 months earlier were both cited as the primary motivations behind the Oklahoma City bombing that took place exactly two years. So our line has gone into Waco, into Oklahoma City. And that's what I mean, folks. That's what I meant to explain how this all started. This brings us to our main character, Timothy McVeigh. The one who thought for all that was good and green in this earth, he was his own personal hero, Luke Skywalker, set on his path to take down the Death Star in real life, the ATF, much like the main character of the Turner Diaries, Earl Turner, who went on a who went on a suicide mission, flying a crop duster equipped with a nuclear warhead into the Pentagon. Jeez. Very similar premise to what we're going to get to. Let's take a break, and then we'll meet this bastard. I went over there hyped up, just like everyone else. Not only is Saddam evil, all Iraqis are evil. Uh, what I experienced, though, was an entirely different ballgame. And being face-to-face close with these people in personal contact, you realize they're just people like you. It's hard for some people to come to grips with, with you as the same person who was commended by the Army, who received the Bronze Star, who received the Combat Medal, as being the same person who was convicted in the Oklahoma City bombing. They can't put the two together. You understand that? I do understand. Um, They perceive, and many people have thrown this at me. They say, well, Tim, imagine the paradox. In the Gulf War, 
you were given medals for killing people. So I've faced that um, that issue quite a few times with people that bring it up to me. And how do you explain it? Man? At that point, usually I just uh, leave it at that um, and say that it is an interesting paradox. Second segment time. Let's get right to it, folks. Timothy James McVeigh was born April 23rd, 1968, the middle child of three. He was an American domestic terrorist who perpetrated the 1995 Oklahoma City bombing, which killed 168 people and injured over 680. I think I said 600 earlier. That number went up. Wow, since the uh, break? Yeah. The bombing was the deadliest act of terrorism within the United States prior to the September 11 attacks and remains the deadliest attack of domestic terrorism in U.S. history. So who is this guy? Ex-Army white dude with a belief that he was a hero in his own Star Wars. That's the gist, basically, in my mind. But he believed he was bullied growing up because they called him Noodle McVeigh. Noodle. Did anybody have a bully name that you were called? They called hmm. because they, they called him Noodle because he was this thin dude, thin white dude. They called me Clarence Neister Bunny. <laughs> really? <laughs> Aww. I call you Lawrence occasionally, yeah. but I was called Poops. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I, I wonder the, why. The only time I was ever given. An actual name, Josh knows. This is, I'm so, I'm just like still horrified and mortified from this. Um, I was in first grade and I was sitting next to my crush, Ryan Colleen. And uh, if you're out there, Ryan Colleen, I still remember this like 25 years later. So nah, thanks for that. Should have called um, him Colin. I know. Um, but yeah, I, I was like, I was certain that we were going to get married. It was one of those like first grade, like I had it all planned out. Oh yeah. And we, our desks were next to each other and I dropped my pencil and I leaned down to get my pencil and just tore ass. So my maiden my maiden name is Vander Whitey and for the rest of the school year he called me April Vander Farty. I was devastated because I I thought he was just Dream. the end all be all, right? And um now I'm April Vander Farty. No, you're April Shoop, damn it. And you know the Shoops like to poops? Oh, boy. Backtrack. Okay, so I never had any real nicknames. Actually, in the Army, they called me American Pie because they thought I looked like Tom Brady when I was a little skinnier than I am now and more muscular. Um, 
also in you're just showing off elementary school that there's a kid that called me old yellow because i had a yellow jacket on banana face yeah that sounds a little more more like what he probably should have went with because mm-hmm. i just kept going i like my yellow jacket <laughs> even though he messed with me and then i dated his younger sister ha ha got, got you back jack question question uh, is that yellow jacket considering the times was it a starter i don't remember <laughs> it should have been it was either that or an ll bean that my mom got so he was punched one time and a kid stole his hat. Then they called him Noodle. That was the, that was the extent of his bullying from what I researched. Punched one time? I got punched one time too. It hurt. I also punched another kid. It happens. Oh yeah. I'm just saying it made me realize getting hit hurts. And, That's hurt, it. and hitting somebody actually hurts your fist too. You don't you feel it till the fight's done. Not really. Yeah. It, well, there was alcohol and adrenaline involved. So surprise, surprise. Throwing around, you know that sort of thing. Because when real fighting happens, what happens is, is there's maybe one and a half punches actually thrown. The rest of it is just throwing, and then 30, 30, 30 seconds, 30, thirty seconds later, everybody's like. <gasps> Because the adrenaline and the actual act of fighting is... Don't let Jean-Claude Van Damme fool you, folks. I think it's rare for a guy to grow up and not be in at least one fight. Exactly. And usually it's your friend who's like... You can tell who hasn't been in a fight. They're they're super cocky assholes. Oh, yeah. I never want to... I don't like fighting. I've gotten into a few fights. but can die. (laughs) It hurts. Especially if you escalate and you don't know the other person's mental... Yeah, uh, you know, fortitude. You don't know if they can take a few s- through few, s- you know, angry lines. You don't know what they're carrying. You throwing ninja stars? <laughs> I know that sounded meaty too. That must have hit right in the ass. Geez. That's a hot fight. <laughs> oh, juice. Anyway, he liked cats. He was a cat person. He actually had Garfield sheets. That is so adorable. I want Garfield sheets. Everybody does. He tried to join the KKK because he liked a pamphlet they had, but eventually left because they didn't focus on Second Amendment rights. Ah. He went out of his way to say he wasn't a racist, but followed the ultra-alt-right conservative views of the Turner Diaries, an ultra-pro-gun, pro-white, anti-government racist novel about a resistance called The Order taking down the Jew-run black government. So, (laughs) seems a bit counter. Mm -hmm. He carried it like a Bible. Also... I'm not racist, but I'll join the KKK. Well, the common the common thing I hear in the guy that's racist who says he isn't is I like all black people, especially my one friend Clyde. <laughs> yes. Yep. Who you know my friend has a, a brother who works with a black guy, so I'm not racist. I'm not because I don't talk about him. My third even though cousin we, is gay. Even though he had to bring up the fact that he worked with a black mm-hmm. man, which mm-hmm. come on, people. I hate people. Yep. So really, well, like I'd say, ninety percent of people I run are really good people. Ninety, I, yeah, no, I'd say I, okay, eighty to ninety percent right. are good people. I hate the you hate some of the things people say, not necessarily the people, because I still yes. love the racist people. I do. The, the fact is, I hate their beliefs. I wish I could change mm-hmm. them, mm-hmm. but I still love yeah. them. 
Yeah. Chances are, I mean, here, let me, let me side for a second. All these conservative pro gun people for the most part are really fucking good people. Yeah. They make good food. You want them next door. You want them as your next door neighbor. Exactly. If they have a gun, generally they keep it in a safe. Mm -hmm. Their kids don't, you know, touch it. They don't run through your backyard. They teach you how to play, you know, they teach you how to use the thing, Mm -hmm. which is good survival tactics. And I don't mind guns in general. I don't want to own one personally, but I don't mind somebody who has a collection. It's just, you don't need 25 AR-15s and a stockpile of shotgun shells. If you're out, because where you're not going to put the shotgun shells in the air, fifteen. Well, yeah, I mean, (laughs) you don't need you don't need a mini Fort Bradley or Fort Knox in your, you know, you don't need it. Just saying, stick to porn, have your pistol, you'll be fine. Measure those two things out. Because sometimes I wonder if micro penises are the guys that have the downstairs ultra mega ammo ammo cache, if if you will. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's something else. That's just how they grew up. Maybe it is. But I'm just saying for the fact, I know there's people that listen to that show who are generally very conservative, and a lot of your ideals I understand and believe myself. But to each a limit on things, even water, you need to limit. You can die drinking too much water. Mm -hmm. So I'm just saying, you don't need to stockpile. That's that. So... Send all complaints to Conspiracy T Show on Twitter. <laughs> well, technically, I started this argument, so you know, direct it to me. That's okay. So, Josh at Conspiracy T Show and Twitter. When yeah. Tim when Tim got one of his first jobs, he actually worked at Burger King, Larry's least favorite fast food restaurant. It's yeah. What is that? It's it's when the, it's, it's when the line at McDonald's is too long and you're starving. Yeah. Okay, so if you have to order something at Burger King... I tell you what, I do like the their breakfast burrito is good. Mm, Oh, I've never had it. I don't think I've ever been in a Burger King at breakfast time. Well, there's no line. I can tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) But it still will be cold. Just the one weird senior citizen Mm -hmm. who came in for the black coffee. Just for the coffee. Yeah. And their coffee sucks, too, by the way. Really? Yeah. I don't know. I feel like the last time I had a croissant, which it was not that bad. Is that That's a good review. (laughs) I like the sausage more at Burger King. As we stated, you think Chinese food is sausage, so... (laughs) Yeah, that's right. He loves his bacon, egg, and cheese egg rolls. (laughs) Forgot about that. Anywho. So while he was working at Burger King... I'd try it. He actually met a married co-worker, older lady, and... Hey, where's the meat? They eventually had their first tryst together. Little Ooh. is deflowering. Mr. McVeigh got it on. Which. Oh, God. Can you imagine the woman that would have got it on with this guy? Because I, I have to mention for a moment the fact that. That's like really sped up. I think it's a lot quicker than that, though. I think I think it was like. She pulled her pants down and he pulled it out and then it was like, oh, sorry. (laughs) Oh, sorry. (laughs) I'm just saying. First time he's in post high school. First time. Yeah. Oh, post high school working, not a drinker and and a well-built gentleman. Yeah. Just saying it it was probably quick. And there's no problem with that. Bend over. (laughs) 
Women, I, I've heard that women like that. Is that true? Do women like it when you go, when you go quickly? <laughs> if you hear that sound while you're in the you bathroom, that, Ryan, but there's there's a sweet spot. There's there's too long. Yeah, there's, there's not long enough. There's too long where I'm sitting there getting blasted from behind and going, Do I need to? Do, do I need to pick up? That is so like that. funny. I'm just picturing you holding an iPad, like looking I'm at like, Amazon. I'm, like I'm, I'm going over to- my grocery list for the morning. And <laughs> news to me, damn it! <laughs> this has got to stop eventually. I'm like, oh boy, is Jersey Shore on tomorrow? Like, I'm going over my. <laughs> I know it could be more exciting. Let's do the taxes. Yeah. Oh, yep. Good lord. Yeah, if she's texting while you're doing it, wrap it up. But then alternately, yeah. it's like, if it's not enough, then you're like, oh. Where's the beef? That's it? We're, is it we're done now? <laughs> oh, yeah, right. <laughs> if, like I said, if you hear that sound in the bathroom while you're going to the bathroom. <laughs> what are you doing in there? Just brushing my teeth. It's fine. It's my electric toothbrush. It's fine. Just brush my teeth. And then they slowly walk away and they go. We don't have just, an electric toothbrush. Just in here ringing yes, the devil's does. doorbell. <laughs> <sighs> anyway, so he had his first sexual encounter. Fun. This guy didn't know how to talk to women. He was a kind of an introvert, but yet he did make friends. And a lot of his outlook, I think, if you... It's kind of like an 80s action hero. Like, is how he's picturing himself. Ooh, like Schwarzenegger. Yeah, Schwarzenegger couldn't get Sharon Stone. I'm just saying. He he slept with his maid. <laughs> yeah. Okay? Mm. He, as much as, as as a kid, I was like, Schwarzenegger's a good-looking guy, and I hope to look like him. April, be honest with me. Is Schwarzenegger hot? No. <laughs> see? All of these guys. See, that's the thing. Us guys were like... What? That's what I want to look like. Next thing she'll say, Sylvester Stallone's not that great either. It's exactly what you want on top of you. Or blasting you from behind when you start to think about your grocery list. (laughs) Oh, no! Guys, we have a false representation in our heads because we're action movie kids of the okay. 80s. It's fine. Okay. That grossed me out so much it gave me goosebumps. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Continuing on. <laughs> Please do. After his time there, he worked armored security. Okay. He was a few of the local kids' favorite babysitter. In fact... They loved him so much they'd ask him back because most other babysitters would just turn on the TV and tell him to go to bed. The only problem was the mothers mentioned that he had an incredible appetite, and when they would come home, he'd clean out much of the fridge. Nice. He's one of those... The man after my own heart. <laughs> anybody know a skinny dude who does the same thing? Yeah, my brother. Like, just put it away. Like he, My wife. Oh, dude. I met your she, wife. She puts it away. <laughs> And she's like a bucket and a quarter. Fucking tapeworm people. <laughs> I know. I hate everybody that's like that. <laughs> Seriously. He worked at a zoo at one point. Ooh. <laughs> he tried college for a while, but after one semester dropped out because it was too difficult to concentrate on things, 
when they just seemed useless. So many boobies around. I'm just coming in my pants when I come to school. I don't know if it was that. I think he was trying to think of the last good, Jitties. like, Sylvester Stallone line or, like, <laughs> Jean-Claude Van Damme, like, walk up and just be like, yo, girl. You want to actually? Oh, that one was of them, me. Never mind. One of them was talking about one of a good example of a, of a way that he would approach women. I think this was in the book. I'm not sure, but he was he was saying that he would approach women and it would be like, "Look, let's uh, let's just Fuck. cut to the chase, my we lady. Could, we could sit here and have many a drink, yeah, my lady. Incel 101. Uh, <laughs> right. We could uh, cut to the chase, skip the drinks." And just get it on. What woman wah, likes wah, that? Wah. April, honestly, if a guy walks up to you at a bar and he looks like flat top Timothy McVeigh, <laughs> whom looks like Eminem to me, a l- little bit, I would say more in his early period, but like in, in prison, he kind of to me just looks like a potato. Potato, yeah. Would, it, would no. you? No. That's not going to. I don't care what you look like. That's not going to work. No. Okay. Yeah. That's bullshit. Because if Justin Timberlake came up to you and did that, then you'd be like, my panties are off. But that's not because of his looks. That's because he's Justin fucking Timberlake. Exactly. And if to Jennifer Conley did the same thing to me, so would I. Jennifer Conley, single dad right here. <laughs> but I'm just saying. I'll take it. Hey, me and my girlfriend, we have our thing. She's Henry Cavill and I'm Jennifer <laughs> Conley. <laughs> You need a better mustache. I know. Well, maybe I'll CG one on. Let's see. So, I kind of know where he's coming from with college because I did the same thing. Like, I took one semester and I was like, fucking shit. I got to go through all the Mm -hmm. shit I just fucking did. I hated fucking algebra. Here it is in my face again. And on top of that, I got to read a lot of books. They paid like $300 for yeah, and you get three cents back when you exactly. turn it back in. Yep, we've all been there. If they let you return it, I think those book places are run by Jews. And by the way, oh, I'm wow! Sorry. <laughs> I was Jeez. I was trying to. I'm sorry. I've been reading too much of this stuff. I'm just kidding. No, what it is is the professor has his own book you have to buy, and they change it up every semester. Yep. I had when I was at uh, a private college in the area. Um, I had uh, for my biblical her- hermeneutics class. Herman, what are hermeneutics? Beats the fuck out of me. I didn't go. <laughs> it's a type of pasta, I think. <laughs> yeah, um, Chef he <laughs> created his own CD-ROM set every. Mm year and it was $300 that went to him. Yep. And I'm like, I'm paying tuition to pay your bills. You know what? Why am I spending all this money? He's and actually teaching a really good yeah, business right? lesson is what he's teaching. See, and the worst part is he would do, he would tweak it just a little bit every year enough so that he would know if you got someone's copy from the previous That's year. Insane. It is. It's a racket. It is a racket. Hermeneutics also sounds like the Scientology version of cooking. Pretty much. And to be fair to the people that want free education, I get that too. Because it's fucking a racket. It's expensive as shit. They keep jacking up the rates. School, you know, and I think we should move to more of a European thing where there's more specialty schools. I have a mm. friend that I went to college with who went for, and this is maybe her fault, she went for music performance um, and was there for five years because they, the way that they did the credits, she could not graduate in, in four years. Really? So she got her bachelor's degree in music performance and what the day she graduated had over a $100,000 in student loans. Here's a tip. And you know where you. she works now? 
Starbucks. Oh, here's a tip for you kids. There's always going to be a need for a plumber. And the plumbing is going to break in off hours and you're going to make the extra bank for that. Mm-hmm. Specialty There's services. always going to be need for welding. Specialty Electrical. service. Electrical. Really well. Plumbers. Any of that. I'll tell you what. I lose Mailman. my job being a male prostitute. I'm going to start to figure out how light bulbs work again. Again. <laughs> again? again? Like, like I you even, forgot. I, yeah. No, I can't play Mario Kart. I'll just come to your house and play <laughs> yours. Now... After a brief conversation with his father, after kind of middling around, and I'll, I want to mention, while he was an armored security guard, mm-hmm. he actually, one day, to like impress his fellow employees, brought in like two bandoliers with like <laughs> shotgun rounds or some sort of ammo on it. He was just like, oh, check this out. Name's Timothy McVeigh. Look at my rounds. We're going to fuck up anybody that tries yeah. to take our shit. Something tells me that if Timothy McVeigh was in college in like the mid 2000s he would have a kick-ass myspace he would wear a fedora yep. and a trench coat and a sword ding, collection ding, 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 and a sword collection and boots yep and a doc martin and a pillow wife a wife a yep a wife is that what it's called i'm just i'm kind of i don't know a lot of this dabble but you're like i'm like i you get terrified when you see those websites you run you said incel and i kind of dipped my toe into that i was like nope yeah no there's (laughs) what is this there's some good youtube (laughs) videos we could talk about that in future episode but after a brief conversation as i said (laughs) one of his father's friends mentioned it and said something about hey why don't you join the army so he did Literally the next morning. Hmm. Taking a lifetime of loving guns and a lifetime subscription to Soldier of Fortune along the way, the army was the perfect fit for McVeigh, who actually learned to like guns from his grandfather. He made friends and excelled like completely as soon as he joined the service. I met guys like this. I think I would have been friends with him, honestly. Mm -hmm. I met a lot of guys that reading about this and doing the research for it, really, they... It's very prevalent. Like the guys that are stupid. Like I, I, this is a perfect example right here of how I went down with guys like this and me. We'd be all hanging out, having beers. There'd be the one guy who's not drinking. Who's like, Hey man, we got them. Uh, we got the next rank test coming up. Why ain't y'all studying? And I'm like that. And then I start slamming my beer and he's like, Herrick, your uniform's all shitty. And I'm like, I don't fucking give a shit. We're in Iceland. Who gives a fuck if I iron my uniform with a rock? Everybody laughs. Then that guy goes, fucking waste, Herrick. And then I hand him a cigarette and we're friends. And that's usually about it. Or we start listening to some classic rock, which is normally these type of people's favorite shit. So... In the army, he met his close friends, Michael Fortier, and sort of burnout druggy type mm-hmm. guy, mm-hmm. and Terry Nichols, who was 12 years his senior, who McVeigh looked up to. He actually joined the same company in boot camp. And I want to mention, too, Terry Nichols, Michigan native. Mm-hmm. Yep. Shout out. Mm-hmm. While in, McVeigh would advance in rank lightning fast and became obsessed with the idea of becoming a Green Beret in Special Forces. Wow. But then the Gulf War broke out, during which uh, Saddam Hussein uh, infiltrated Kuwait in the ideal of basically taking their oil. But we were adversaries 
with Kuwait. We were, we were the only ones who were going to do anything. Right. Like, the rest of the world was like, well, I guess they're just taking it over. <laughs> and then and George Bush was like, eh, eh, on my clock. Which is, you know, Get good given, on him. given his partnerships with the Saudis and all that, I guess it's understandable. And oil, I mean, it well, does. Well, no one should be taking over another country. No, no, of course not. So, before they left to the war, I want to mention, too, one of the veterans in their unit actually mentioned that he was a veteran of Vietnam and said, I want you to take your worst nightmare and times it by five and then times it by five again. And then you might be close to what war is going to feel like. (laughs) Of course, this was the hundred hour war basically. And we will learn a little bit of that, but Nichols did leave for a hardship. So we didn't actually see war and we'll, we'll reconvene with him after this. Okay. He had to go back to Michigan because of the farm, which it does happen in the service. People go back for hardships. As such, soon before this, before, before that, they, uh, McVeigh got his orders and they left. He was a gunner on a Bradley fighting vehicle and was the leader, basically, of his squad or his company, which he called Bad Company. In fact, he loved the song Bad Company. So much so that he would play it through his Walkman, through the external speakers and the Bradley, so that all the guys could listen to it over and over again. (laughs) But it became kind of like the theme song of this journey. He was up every morning at 5.40 a.m., cleaning guns and watching the desert horizon, which really shaped him. He won a medal for killing two Iraqis, but his commander and company reported of of killing captured Iraqi soldiers, which is kind of... That's a violation. It is. It's a war crime. A war crime, indeed. But the commander of that unit, actually, who was questioned for the book that was written about this whole period and the further Oklahoma City bombing, wouldn't cooperate because he could have also been punished Mm. for war crimes. You can see that later. Government cover-ups? In fact, the two that he killed, which I didn't mention, he shot from a thousand yards away. Wow. In fact, he didn't know for sure until he saw one of the guy's heads vaporize. (laughs) Is that vaping? (laughs) Okay. Vaped a human brain. So. Fruity pebbles. Ooh. He won a medal for the killing, like I said, and then there were other reports that he'd walked up to captured Iraqis and basically plugged them, which is terrible. But at the end of the 100-hour war, there were dead bodies everywhere. Most of them weren't buried. Some of them were being eaten by wild dogs. And I'll be honest with you, this kind of sounds like a guy who had head damage as a kid. He did. Which is one of the trifecta. And I don't want to try to remember what the trifecta was because I messed that up last time. Mm -hmm. But the serial killer trifecta. During that time, though, McVeigh reportedly began his disdain for the government so much more in the army and eventually saw the Iraqi army as a useless enemy. We were in their land, and it seemed similar to his childhood favorite film, Red Dawn, We Were the Aggressors. Or The Bully, a constant through line for Tim. So after the war, he came back and he was allowed to go into the Green Berets. But unfortunately, according to Tim, in a letter he wrote to the commander there, he couldn't cut it. Hmm. He was so desert-worn 
his mm. muscles were weak. His senses were dull. He just like, he couldn't cut it. And there's some conflicting reports on that. He actually, this was kind of a weird side tangent. When he got back, the first thing he did was go like in, in uniform. He just got off the plane and went to his favorite local diner and ordered up a burger and fries. And he told the waitress behind the counter, and she remembers this in one of the interviews I watched, that the only thing that got him through was just getting back to that place to have a hot meal. Wow. He even had sand on his uniform still. I will say this. That part kind of got to me. And that's why I remember these people. They were good people. But this type of guy. I'm not saying this guy. But I know that feeling, that draw for a hot meal and a warm bed, and a, the girl Normalcy. back home. Normalcy, exactly. And a lot of guys get PTSD from that, which he did. Yeah. And could have been treated for, but was not. He was too embarrassed to put his name in. And I want to say, I want to put this out there for any of our, if we have any, I don't know our listenership as well as I wish I did, but if we have any Armed Forces listeners, I just want to know, I'm an ex-Navy guy. I was honorably discharged, not that that means anything, but I signed up for the VA as soon as I got out and I've, I take medication for that stuff. So not just that, but the other kind and it helps. So there's a big question here about him during this time. Supposedly he was allowed to join special forces or green berets. And according to a letter he wrote to the commander about him not being up to snuff to be part of his great team, he failed. But with such a super soldier who would seem, how would that even seem possible? You know what I mean? Like <laughs> he's this, he's this Billy badass, and all of a sudden he, like you said, PTSD. Well, right. There is that, but there's also, this is the side tangent too. According to everyone, he was in great shape, still not a drinker or smoker. And scored highest scores in all of his training. He was the perfect soldier, according to everyone. In fact, his commander said, "If I had a whole unit of McVeighs, I'd win every army, or I'd win every battle." One answer could be in the media-controlled narrative, though. Mm, yeah. Or there could be more evidence of something different. Some evidence that came to light from a letter that he wrote to his sister Jennifer in 1993, which I will read now. You've got mail. Now, these are, this is an excerpt from a letter dated October 20th, 1993, and written by Tim to his sister Jennifer McVeigh, who was, uh, I can't remember what it was. She was a mud wrestler, I think, in right. upstate New York. Or it was either mud wrestler or jello wrestler or something. Wait, something, something Say what? Something kind of kinky. Maybe she was a stripper. <laughs> Check out Potty Slam on the Beer City Media Network. Anyway, here's some experts. Grandpa McVeigh saw this. He never knew why, but one day I showed up at his door freezing outside in only sweatpants and in total complete breakdown. Gramps, I'm sure... Never told anyone about that day, and I respect him greatly for that, as I spent about an hour upstairs losing it. It was, about, it was almost suicide at that point, but rage, but, but denial, but acceptance. All these feelings were battling for control. I think he's talking about his PTSD there. Okay. Now, here's what led to my current life. It all revolves around my arrival at Fort Bragg for Special Forces. We all took intelligence. So like, my brother-in-law. Oh, really? I uh, went to his Fort Bragg. Yep. Hey, shout out to Fort Bragg and all the guys that have been there. 
Thank you for your service. We all took intelligence, psychological adeptness, and a whole battery of other tests. Out of a group of 400, one day in formation, 10 social security numbers were called out, no names, and told to leave formation. Mine was one. The 10 of us were told that out of the select group of 400, we had scored highest on certain tests. We had been selected because of our intelligence, physical makeup, being, quote, the ultimate warrior type. I was only slightly off, 160 pounds, six and a half inches. Wow. Six, one and a half. Actually, he's a little taller than me. At 160 pounds, I think the lightest I was in the service was 180. And I'm now 195. So, dude, wow. We were to feel special, part of a hand-picked group. We were all asked to volunteer, talk about peer pressure, and to do some work for the government on the domestic as well as international front. What I learned next, both from the briefings and from the questions and private talks, included, one, we would be helping the CIA fly drugs into the U.S. to fund many covert operations. Mm. Two, military consults were to work hand-in-hand with civilian police agencies to quiet anyone who was deemed a security risk. We would be government-paid assassins, exclamation point. Three, many other details to verify these last two, see the enclosed article or watch again the movie Lethal Weapon. Which is like, so that's, those are the little excerpts from that, but it kind of makes you think about the previous informant kind of led assaults like Waco, et cetera, which is interesting because all of a sudden it's like, so wait, does that mean he was part of a larger thing? It makes you wonder. Well, he said in interviews after the explosion happened that he was... In, and I quote here, he said, everybody wants to believe some mystical crazy thing, but the real crazy part of it is that I did it alone. Now, he blew that place up in a filling a rider truck with like 7,000 pounds of explosives. That was big boom boom. But many people say there was another man there, and I'll get into that more later. Mm-hmm. McVeigh was in Fort Lauderdale, and we're going to go to after he got out of the service. He was out. He was in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, at a gun show where, when the Waco siege happened, and decided immediately to drive from Florida to Texas to witness the siege. Of course, he couldn't get too close, but it had an intense effect, especially on the day the siege ended, four nineteen ninety three. Again, the anniversary of Waco happened. On Oklahoma City, which mm-hmm. which which the feds put together pretty quick. I think they kind of all at once like went light bulb. Mm-hmm. He could only see about two miles away at the time, but he was enraged. When the actual siege ended, at the time he was in Michigan working on the farm with Nichols. He, th- this is what's crazy about this is this goes all over the country. And I'm telling you right now, the things I'm going to bring up in this episode and the next are a 10th of what happened. This is so crazy. I, I'm, I'm blown away. HBO has Waco got a show, but this needs one. So he was out working on a car and then Terry Nichols, who married a actually, <laughs> A young mail-order bride Filipino woman or girl. Uh, She ran out and was like, come on, Tim, look. Um, 
What? That's Filipino I'd- accent right there. You, <laughs> Dr. Jones! You crushed it. <laughs> I was. I didn't even think. I don't know what Filipino w- women, girls sound like. See? No. They're, that's they're Asian. <laughs> wow. Good Lord. You don't come to this for this, the accents, for do you? No. No. <laughs> so, Tim walked in. It's looked at the TV, saw the flames, saw the carnage. And they say that basically they he started crying, mm. started screaming at the TV and got more angry than they'd ever seen him. He was driven at that moment that something had to happen. Ruby Ridge inflamed him too, made him so angry, but this this is this is the kickoff. McVeigh eventually later said that he had contemplated assassinating Attorney General Janet Reno, Orlan Harucci, and others in, pr- in preference to attacking a building. And after the bombing, he said that he sometimes wished he had carried out a series of assassinations instead. He initially intended only to destroy a federal building, but he later decided that his message would be better received if many people were killed in the bombing. Like I said... When he went to these gun shows, he would sell and sometimes give away the Turner Diaries, which I've brought up many times. And he would also hand out, and this is insane, I'm surprised he didn't get in trouble, but then again, I'm sure these guys aren't going to tell on him. He would hand out little business cards with the name and address of the sniper who killed the weaving, who killed Randy Weaving. Wow. Wow. That (laughs) That was the first day of that sniper's job. Sorry. He is literally the the complete. <laughs> oh shit! Sorry. Oh, I just killed a woman. No, no. So can't keep a job. No. He initially intended only to destroy a federal building, but he later decided that his message would be better received if many people were killed in the bombing. McVeigh's criterion for potential attack sites was that the targets should house at least two or three federal law enforcement agencies, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms, or ATF, the FBI, or the DEA. He regarded the presence of additional law enforcement agencies, such as the Secret Service or U.S. Marshal Service, as a bonus. Look, I've worked with these people, generally. I have friends that work in these departments. I just want these people to understand sometimes you find a good job with good benefits Mm -hmm. these are the guys some of these guys go after serial killers some of the worst of the worst and some of them are terrible people just like people in general i just wish we would take for a second just to think about these people as humans and rather than them as casualties that needed to you know that they were just collateral damage when Tim McVeigh shared a cell with Ted Gazinski, by the way, this is just a little side thing. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The two of them became friends, and Kaczynski thought of him as a li- as liberal-minded. <laughs> what? Unabom- <laughs> Unabomber's coming down the line, folks. I just wanted to throw that in there, because I was reading it. So, Damn liberal snowflake pussy. What was the tip-off? What was the thing? Old block? We said, I said Waco was when he knew he needed to uh-huh. do something. There was a kickoff, though. There was a time that he said, this is going down, motherfuckers. And that was after Clinton signed the Brady Bill in September of 1994. And the ball began to roll in McVeigh's head. This bill was basically for assault weapons checks. And it would have it ended after 10 years. Didn't stop me from shooting Lana Kulowinski in the face. No, it did not, Bill. (laughs) 
and a part of that too was that we had enough guns at the time. I think the statistic the statistic is staggering, but it's just like everybody. I think it was like everybody in the country could have had like their own armory in their basement. Basically, is what it came down to. At least with ammo. So he began to stockpile explosives in a storage shed Terry Nichols owned to store furniture. These tons of fertilizer go nicely by the throw pillows. <laughs> I'm just saying. At this point, really, Nichols became McVeigh's bitch. Hmm. At this point, I mean, I I didn't even mention this, but this mail order bride for a period while Terry was on his way doing a ten hour road trip to go pick up some odds and ends and bullshit. McVeigh totally cucked him and slept with his wife. Oh. Ah. I am Filipino. That was my best. <laughs> okay. Oh, McVeigh, your flat top is so flattering. <laughs> Me love you. So. Meanwhile, at the racist home city of which much of them met and coordinated things, Elohim City, which I haven't brought up until now. It's true. This is a private community in Adair County, Oklahoma, relatively close to Oklahoma City. Okay. It's a 400-acre rural retreat founded in 1973 by Robert Millar, a Canadian immigrant, former Mennonite, and important leader in America's Christian identity movement, which is a fucking terrifying thing, let me just say. I'll get into it more. A theology common to an assortment of right-wing extremist groups. The community gained national attention for its alleged ties to members of the Order, which we brought up earlier. The guys that were like... Not the New World Order, Larry. Oh, <laughs> It's hard to get those... And with convicted, easy to get those confused. And they also had ties with convicted Oklahoma City bomber Timothy McVeigh in the 90s. Robert Millar died on May 28, 2001. Since his death, his son, John Millar, has been the leader of Elohim City. More on this place and its ties in episode two. But I just wanted to establish this as an existing place close to, with right-wing extremists, with 400 acres, with moving ground. And I want that to factor into your guys' ideals when we go to our verdict in episode two. So, finally, it comes to getting the bomb together. He knew, like I said, after the Brady Bill, he's like, I told you, Waco, and now this, it's just like the Bible, Turner Divers, I mean, the book, I mean, the thing that I I give to everybody. You want a copy? Here you go, Walmart employee. Escape from your bonds! And he runs out the door. As he tries to pay them with a sapphire or whatever, because he thinks <laughs> he thinks a gold bar. <laughs> I just what I don't get about people. It's like cash for gold. Well, do do you understand that gold was made uh, standard because we made that? We all said this is going to be a source of like trade. <laughs> now we have cash, and that's what we say. Mm-hmm. We've made the agreement, but oh no, you just you know. Well, I'm into Bitcoin actually. <laughs> I got a platinum and thinking forward. Uh oh. Bitcoin stock just dropped it. Ugly. <laughs> so, Mc- McVeigh and Nichols purchased or stole the materials they needed to manufacture the bomb, which they stored in rented sheds in August of 94. McVeigh obtained nine kinetist- kinetist sticks from a gun collector, Roger Moore, who he actually befriended and had emails back and forth with. 
Come on, Bond. What are you doing? Sure. So he said that wrong bond. He said that they robbed. Okay. And certain articles say that he robbed them, mm-hmm. but realistically, it's from investigation. It looks like they collaborated this. Okay. And I'll leave this to our listeners to kind of investigate yourself because there's a lot of documentaries about this in the the biography on McVeigh. And the 60 Minutes, I highly recommend, but also there's a great new documentary that came out about three years or two years ago that's got some great info. Now, Nichols' home in Harrington, uh, they took these devices, ignited... Oh, shoot. Hold on. They got this from Roger E. Moore, the gun collector, and ignited the devices with Nichols outside outside Nichols' home in Harrington, Kansas. On September 30th, 1994, Nichols bought 40 50-pound bags of ammonium nitrate fertilizer from mid-Kansas co-op. Okay, so Nichols had actually moved to Kansas at the time. That's what I was okay. getting confused about. I'm like, what? They didn't go... So they're they're kind of centrally located. We're like Oklahoma, but flatter. That's true. But John Denver's full of shit, man. <laughs> Sorry, that was a weak, weak pull. So it's about 160 pounds of nitrogen and an amount commonly used for corn. Nichols bought an additional 50 pound bag on October 18th, 1994. McVeigh approached 40A, who was his other friend. The other, he's the third friend, the one that's like, I love meth. Meth loves me. <laughs> Come here, meth. Brad, take a sucky and pokey. Oh, I want Doritos. Let's kill this cop. I'm just I'm going through the meth head, the meth head right there. Where's my teeth? Uh oh, there goes the last one. I swallowed it. So that you, is a top ten <laughs> single if I've ever heard one. Larry, could you put music behind that? I think I will. We'll auto tune them. Make okay. a little song out of it. All right. So I think I would like that song. He approached his old friend, and Fortier refused. He wanted him to help out. Mm-hmm. McVeigh and Nichols then robbed Moore, like I said, in his home of $60,000 worth of guns, gold, silver, and jewels, transporting the property in the victim's own van. McVeigh wrote a letter to Moore in which he claimed that the robbery had been committed by government agents. Items that were stolen from Moore were later found in Nichols' home and in a storage shed that had been rented. In October of 94, McVeigh showed Michael Fortier and his wife, Lori, a diagram he had drawn of the bomb he wanted to build. So it's like his friend refused, but then he goes back and he, he shows him the diagram by setting up soup cans. <laughs> and he's like, they're looking at this and I just feel like this is, this is so silly to me. Like if he refused, okay, it's now like, the chicken and stars, you have to imagine this is, <laughs> and it, well, that's Bobby's chicken and stars. <laughs> the way that he traced it was with like uh crayon. And tomato and cheddar broccoli. Now the cream of mushroom <laughs> is this is where the wick goes. <laughs> and then this is me, Mr. Lego Man, running away. <laughs> Tee hee hee. Like, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> I would have loved to have been a fly in the wall. So they showed he showed the diagram of the bomb he wanted to make to build. McVeigh planned to construct a bomb containing more than five thousand pounds of ammonium nitrate fertilizer mixed with about 1,200 pounds of liquid nitromethane and 350 pounds of Tovex, so about 7,000, like I said, including the weight of the 1655 U.S. gallon drums in which the explosive mixture was to be packed. The bomb would have a combined weight, 
7,000 pounds. McVeigh had originally intended to use hydrazine rocket fuel, but it proved to be too expensive. I read a story where these Aryan, uh, Ara, Aryan nation, whatever guys, this Aryan, what are these white supremacists? These these dumbasses, (laughs) basically like me, they were like, we're going to take out that. That building, that big old building, that ATF building in in Oklahoma City. I got an idea. Let's build a rocket launcher. Guess what happened? They blew themselves up. <laughs> Look, if you don't have access to a real rocket launcher from an armory, don't try building one. <laughs> and that's been your jackass moment of the night. So, that was the bomb. During the Chief Auto Parts National... Hot Rod Association Drag Racing Championship yeah. Series event at the Texas Motor... Dude, I should have said that with the dearest Marjorie's accent right there. <laughs> McVeigh posed as a motorcycle racer. He initially attempted to purchase 55 gallons drums of nitromethane on the pretense that he and some fellow bikers needed the fuel for racing. Anytime I talk about NASCAR or driving, I just immediately hit <laughs> Southern. <laughs> Despite the lack of nitromethane-powered motorcycles at the meeting and not having the NHRA competitor's license denied by one representative, Steve Lesur, due to Lesur's suspicions of McVeigh, his, his attitude, basically, he was then permitted to purchase three barrels from another representative, Tim Chambers. Chambers questioned the purchase of three barrels when typically only one, point, one to f- five gallons of nitromethane would be purchased by a top fuel Harley rider, even though the class was not raced that weekend. Lasur reported the incident to the FBI immediately after rejecting McVeigh's request. So that's kind of like a red flag moment leading up to. You would think. Now, McVeigh rented a storage space in which he stockpiled seven crates of 18-inch long Tovex sausages. 80 spools <laughs> of shock tube. <laughs> And 50, now you have Josh's attention. <laughs> it wasn't Chinese sausage. 500 oh. electric blasting caps, which he and Nichols had stolen from a Martin Marietta aggregates quarry in Mar- Marion, Kansas. He decided not to steal any of the 40,000 pounds of ANFO, an ammonium nitrate fuel oil, he found at the scene. He found at the s- at the scene, as he did not believe it to be powerful enough, although he did obtain seven bags of ANFO from another source. Just for funsies. Yeah, why not? Take one home. Show the kids. Blow something up. Mm-hmm. McVeigh. <laughs> right, we're having fun this weekend, kids. We're going to blow up garbage cans. Who needs garbage? Now we're going to go to the Hot Rod Association. Because cause yeah, dad, grandpa had the good idea. We just blast everything up. We never have to clean. <laughs> Do the dishes. Boom. Your arm's a plate. Or your mama's back is a plate. Rake leaves. Get over here. <laughs> go out and rake leaves, son. <laughs> them old pizza boxes I did as you told daddy I took your recommendation <laughs> doing the laundry <laughs> <laughs> now that there is a tidy shirt it looks like you worked hard today Ruth Ann I did <laughs> so how was your date explosive <laughs> <laughs> he's all over the place daddy I blew him up mowing the lawn Damn it, the dog shit in the house again. Better clean it up. <laughs> Someone's got to clean the kitty litter again. <laughs> what you doing? Vacuuming. <laughs> fucking crater and a bunch of charred Looney Tunes characters. There's mice in the house. You got to set some mouse traps. 
All right. Pick up your toys, kids. <laughs> See, I'm thirsty. Jesus. <laughs> Sitting on the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The TNT family is April had some dead. beans. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> There's that Vanderfarty again. Yep. God damn. <laughs> All right. Pull the Thunderbird over. <laughs> All right. They stole all the stuff, and McVeigh made a prototype bomb using a plastic Gatorade jug containing ammonium nitrate prills, liquid nitromethane, a piece of Tovex sausage, and a blasting cap. I think I said that. And fruit punch. The prototype and was electrolytes. detonated Ooh. in the desert to avoid detection. Side note, favorite flavor. Favorite flavor. Flavor flavor. Flavor flavor. Flavor flavor, flavor, flavor of Gatorade. Lemon lime. Really? Yeah, go with the classics. Ooh. I'm going to go grape. It's good, strong flavor. Okay. We're talking about Gatorade? Gatorade yeah. flavor. Uh, I like the, the um, I like what's the low sugar Gatorade? Called? Oh, the G two or whatever. Yeah, I like the blue crisp clear one. Yeah, Windex. Say- <laughs> <laughs> hey, Lawrence, you be nice to me, or I'll call you Clarence. Neister Bunny. <laughs> Clarence ever, Neister Bunny. Have what you ever it? noticed that when you're going to get Gatorade, or like if someone asks you to buy Gatorade, it's no one ever brings up the actual flavor. You just tell them the color that yep, you want. Yep. Want uh, can you grab one. me one of those blue Gatorades? Well, what about you, April? Um, blue. Or the white one. I really like the white one. Citrus. Yeah. Frost. Common Windex. We have <laughs> something in common. Common Windex. Down on the farm. By the way, my youngest daughter calls Gatorade Gatorade. Gatorade. <laughs> Sounds like me and when I play. Just, you go to the zoo, yeah, it's an alligator. <laughs> It's a crocodile. That's that's true. It's like right. me playing World of Warcraft. I got to read again. When later speaking about the military mindset with which he went about the preparations, he said, quote, you learn how to handle killing in the military. I face the consequences, but you learn to accept it. Jesus. He compared his actions to the atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Rather than the attack on Pearl Harbor, Harbor reasoning it was necessary to prevent more lives from being lost. Quote, think about the people as if they were stormtroopers in Star Wars. They may be individually innocent, but they are guilty because they work for the evil empire. So, on April 17th to 18th, 1995, we are ramping up, folks. McVeigh and Nichols removed the bomb supplies from their storage unit in Harrington, Kansas, where Nichols lived, loaded them into a rider rental truck, and drove to Gary Lake State Park, where they nailed boards onto the floor of the truck to hold the 13 barrels in place. Mixed the chemicals using plastic buckets and a bathroom scale. Each filled barrel weighed nearly 500 pounds. McVeigh added more explosives to the driver's side of the cargo bay, which he could ignite, killing himself in the process at close range with his Glock 21 pistol in case the primary fuses failed. So he's prepared to die. Mm -hmm. During McVeigh's trial, Lori Fortier, the wife of Michael Fortier, stated that McVeigh's claimed... To have arranged the barrels in order to form a shaped mm-hmm. charge. We had chicken, the chicken noodle soup up front. Yep. Clam chowder <laughs> in the back. Chunky. That's right. <laughs> Not that new Manhattan bullshit. I love hitting clam chowder from behind. I mean. While she's busy making her grocery list. <laughs> Uh, I knew if I if I lobbed that one to April, she would slam dunk it. <laughs> Pass to April. Always win. Now, 
So he would have put the barrels on the side of the cargo bay closest to the Murrah building. However, such an unevenly distributed 7,000 pound load might have broken an axle, flipped the truck over, or at least caused it to lean to one side, which could have drawn attention. All, of most, have. <laughs> all or most of the barrels of the ANNM contained metal cylinders of acetylene, 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 acetylene. <laughs> intended to increase the fireball and the present the presence of fucking sick international shit and they <laughs> it's just supposed to make a big boom okay so mcveigh then added a dual fuse fuse ignition system accessible from the truck's front cab he drilled two holes in the cab of the truck under the seat while two holes he's not gonna get drilled. his deposit back N- well i don't think he was thinking that <laughs> i don't think he was thinking long term no? oh okay he was that's his first big- problem by the way if we ever talk about the um the first uh, uh Twin Tower bombing. Mm-hmm. You know how they got the guy? One of them went back to get his deposit. That's true. <laughs> I think we might have brought oh, that up on 9-11, but maybe, maybe not. If not, interesting factoid. <laughs> so, McVeigh then added it. Okay, so he drilled the two holes so he could... While two holes were also drilled in the body of the truck, one green cannon fuse was run through each hole in the cab. These time-delayed fuses led from the cab through plastic fish tank tubing conduit to two sets of non-electric blasting caps, which would ignite around 350 pounds of high-grade explosives. These are some smart motherfuckers. Well, that's where the conspiracy angles are going to come in, especially in episode two. So... The tubing was painted yellow to blend in with the truck's livery. Trucks have livery. Livery. And duct taped in place to the wall to make it harder to disable by yanking from the outside. The fuses were set up to initiate through shock tubes. The 350-pound pounds of Tovex blastrite gel sausages, which would in turn set off the (laughs) configuration of barrels. Dude, I tell you what. When I have sausages, that gel sets off a blast in my barrels, too. You mean bowels? Bowels. <laughs> of the 13 filled barrels, nine contained ammonium nitrate and nit- nitromethane, and four contained a mixture of the fertilizer and about four U.S. gallons of diesel fuel. Additional materials and tools used for manufacturing the bomb were left in the truck to be destroyed in the blast. After finishing the truck bomb, the two men separated. Nicholas returned home to Harrington, and McVeigh traveled from the truck to Junction City. But was there another guy? A John Doe 2, as the media would call him. There'll be more on that in episode 2. Of course. Now, before we get into plugs, I want to round this out a bit. <clears throat> there are a lot of things that happened specifically during this time. I wanted to spell out the bombs a bit. And I B- wanted... O- <laughs> I wanted to also mention that <laughs> a, a lot of the ways that they use the Turner diary, diaries to strategize, to build bombs. I mean, you guys all remember the Anarchist Cookbook, right? Oh, yeah. I had one. By the way, I had horrible floppy. meals. <laughs> <laughs> Rampant glass, diarrhea. Glass and rock oh, salad. Oh, boy. Nail bomb soup. <laughs> Napalm napkins. Why would you want to wipe your hands with those? I'm just saying alliteration's fun. So <laughs> there are things that happen during this time that are crazy. There are facts and there are people that involved in tragedies. A lot of times they see things that maybe they might 
not have seen. I think people in stressful situations, they go through a lot. The bomb went off at 9.02 a.m. Moments before that, people spotted the rider pulling up. But the dumbass and all of his pre-planning and setting up a bomb couldn't pull the vehicle into the parking lot because the damn rider truck was too high. So he had to back out and they had to make do with parking in a handicapped spot on the side of the building. Doesn't he know that that's illegal? Yeah, but (laughs) I don't think he's worried about parking tickets. I would go on your record. (laughs) So good for anybody. What if someone else needed that spot? Were you thinking about that asshole? Huh? Probably saved their life. <laughs> right. I yeah, in some ways probably did. There was someone in a handicapped car doing a lap around the building mm-hmm. going, God damn it. So they parked the vehicle and they got out. He had already lit in the fuses. There reportedly was a blonde haired woman who guided them to this parking <gasps> spot. Wasn't wow. me. Now <laughs> I didn't bring Just up. To clarify, wasn't okay. me. I didn't bring up the ARA, but their leader, who was transgender, wasn't her. No, it could have been her. Hmm. And I'll also bring that up in episode two. So many cliffhangers. I mean, April. Oh, this is a cliffhanger episode. You're moment. not transgender, I think. Oh, Jesus. Are we finding new information? Out <laughs> oh, well, I mean, I had your child, so. That's why, I, I mean, hey, you know what? Technology hey, wait works a amazing. Minute. <laughs> My wife's pregnant. <laughs> Does that mean she is not a transgender? Sounds like a Yahoo answer. Right? <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway. So at 9.02, the bomb went off. McVeigh exited the vehicle and reports indicate that witnesses saw another person with him. That's John Doe number two, who will be featured in the next episode, along with many other different casts of characters. Now, when this bombing occurred, there was audio that was found. Two different pieces of audio. In this, you can actually hear what's going on and hear people just reacting and mm. a warning, this is ex- intense. With regard to this proceeding, basically, there are four elements that I have to uh, uh, receive information regarding. In- Build my coffee. So anyway, Jack. <laughs> it would be. I'm sorry. Respect to the people that you know survived that, and you know that's not a fun day. But if they had just com- 
continued the meeting after yeah. that. Like, so anyway, uh, so who's gonna clean the head? I think, not, I, not, I, not I. What was that? Oh, I think Josh farted again. <laughs> Imagine if like you were going in for your job shadowing or something for that day. Oh, like, first day on the job. Oh, how, oh, I've lost so many jobs. I've lost so many jobs. I hope this goes well. <laughs> oh, <no>! <laughs> <laughs> oh, I parked in that handicapped spot behind that thing. Oh, Don't you validate parking. Oh, Jesus. 168 people died that day. 19 of them were children. We just want to throw out a... <laughs> the wrong time for that, Larry! We say RIP. Um, obviously, this was a devastating attack, and we will continue on the journey after the eventual capture, John Doe number two, and the connections and conspiracies that McVeigh could be tied to. So who wants to do some plugs? So, okay, April and I do a music history podcast called Off Tempo Podcast, and you can find that every Tuesday, and it's on Facebook and Podbean. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And of course, if you like Josh, and if you like Larry, and if you like me, come find the three of us on the Potty Slam Podcast. It's a wrestling history podcast where we tell stories from the locker room and beyond. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter and Podomatic. Evispodcast.net. Conspiracy T Show on Twitter is where we drop episodes every Monday. We are on Facebook. You can like our page, but also join our closed group. We approve everyone. And also rate and review because you'll get a five star shout out. And actually, we do have a five star shout out today. <gasps> five, 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 five star review. This one comes from Travis Umstead, who gave us five stars on our Facebook page and says, love the podcast, great topics, good research, but most of all, I like the chemistry and comedic zingers of the crew. You guys take heavy topics and take away some of the doom and gloom. Keep on keeping on. Great work, guys. Travis, you are getting the dedication on this one. Thanks, buddy. Also, I just wanted to say that that's one of the things that I like the most about this show is that, yes, we do laugh at doom and gloom but if you're not laughing you're dead <laughs> also check out shop.spreadshirt.com slash conspiracy therapy podcast for swag like- we have a new shirt coming out oh. yeah um i don't know if you guys know this but we had a fan uh send us a beautifully illustrated picture of a goat girl <laughs> And uh, of course, it was so awesome that we had to slap it on a shirt. So if you guys, yeah, yeah if you guys want to uh, grab a shirt, head over on uh, to spreadshirt.com and yeah. pick one up because it's it, honestly, it's a fantastic Design. illustration. And we were all really, really impressed. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So check that out. The link will be in the description. Larry always makes sure that's there. Also, like us on Instagram, listen to us on Spotify. And be good to yourself. Don't bomb shit, you assholes. Don't read the Turner Diaries. Also, it's okay to love everyone. Even people you disagree with. Because you know what? They're still humans. If you disagree with them, they still have to come home. They still got to pay taxes. They still got to deal with people on the road. Just try to be friendly. And that's all I got to say. Anybody have anything else they want to throw out there before we close out this part one? Fuck milk duds. Oh. I'm staying strong on that. Milk duds are awful. Again, uh, I've been 
on Twitch. I don't know if Ryan has been, but if you want to watch gameplay, I've been playing South Park Stick of Truth on there. And you can find me under the name Bobo May. I've actually decided that I think that what I'd rather do is promote Bobo May because you're the resident gamer and maybe Larry Gaga. I would think since we're mostly at you guys' houses, if in the future we do any gaming with the crew, it might be fun to have us all involved. Yeah, for sure. So head up twitch.tv slash Bobo May and twitch.tv slash Larry Gaga. I don't uh, stream. Okay. Hit the bubble, man. Yeah. That's about it. Have a great one. We'll see you next week on another episode of Conspiracy Therapy Podcast. The walls are purring. Company Always on the run Destiny Presentation of Beer City Media.